0: Hey friends, welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. The music in the background is from our good friend, Mr. Drew Holcomb. Man, if you can see him live, that Dragons tour is just incredible. And the new album called Dragons is also incredible. So make sure you grab a copy of that. Today on the show, one of my dearest friends, I am just so thrilled to get to have her and to have her chat with us about her new book called You Are the Girl for the Job because ladies, you are the girl for the job. Dude, you're not the girl for the job, but dude, you're like the dudes for the job. So Jess is one of my very favorite voices, uh, helping women lead well where they're called lead and Serve well where they're called to serve and just be who they are. And so I just love her. I think you're going to love this conversation as well. Here is my friend, Jess Connolly. Will you talk about Wild Woman Academy? I think this is the most interesting thing. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I am I mean, I'm great. I haven't talked about it on my podcast. I don't know that I will. So it's nice to share about it in long form. Yeah. Um, because I've told you personally, right. friend to friend, like there's more to the story.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I'm a huge fan of Glow, by the way. Just so yeah, everybody well, knows. Yeah, I mean, me too. I'm a, I'm, if there were t-shirts to be a fan of her, I'm about it. <laughs>
1: I have a daughter named Glory who is 11, and she is all the best things about this world. Mm-hmm, she is mm-hmm. passionate, and she is a fighter, and she's a miracle in and of herself. Why is that? Oh, all the stories. Do you know her stories? Do you know her glow stories? No.
0: You don't? I don't think so. I don't. Based on you- our mutual responses, I do not think I do.
1: <laughs> I'm so surprised. Okay, well, I'll come back to that. She's okay. a miracle. Okay. Okay. Um, but she doesn't love school. She does not love brick and mortar school, and yeah. it's been a struggle. She loves people, but school has been a struggle for her the last few years. And near the end of the last year, it got so hard she could barely make it through the day. So we said, you know, we're gonna have to do something different this year. And it, nothing about it felt right. I know I had a book launch. I'd, I already already like baseline have too much on my plate, mm-hmm. but we just sensed God like poking, poking, poking and saying, this is it. This is the year. And so we're about a weekend and the first day was tough, Yeah, but we're about a weekend and we're thriving. I mean, she's thriving. She's Also,
0: are you a trained teacher? No, no. This just like is, was the right next thing for your kid.
1: It was the right next thing. And I will yeah. tell you, we're not, I mean, I'm not, I'm no dummy. Like I'm not a trained teacher, <laughs> so I'm not trying to be unwise. So we're doing online public school, okay. which means that I am her learning coach. So she goes oh, to that's class. Cool. Yeah. She goes to class four hours a day. She has four, she has, she has more like six different teachers. She has uh, okay. home room teacher. She has a teacher for every subject. They send her material. We, I have an app on my phone that tells me, you know, what time her classes are and what's due today. So that is really nice because it means I don't have to be the boss of her. Right. And she just needed the autonomy. But I think more than that, she just needed the discipleship. She needed the one-on-one time. And that's what we're seeing her just come alive. She's It's it's like the more time I give her, it's not enough. So she's now waking up Mm. at 6 a.m. You know, when I wake up at 6 a.m., just just to be together. She wants to exercise together. She wants to do everything together. And so – Um, Man, it's
0: telling you more than you realized. you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That is
0: really interesting. One of the things my parents did brilliantly was every kid in our family got the education they needed. So I was public school for most of my career as a student. My next sister was private school. My youngest sister was private school and homeschool. Yeah, And so there was not a one-size-fits-all in our family of what education was right. Yeah, And I see y'all doing that, too. And I just really salute that. I just want you to know that I think that's it takes a lot of extra work <laughs> and yeah. a lot of extra courage. Um, and sometimes the right thing is everybody doing the exact same things. But if it's not, it's good to know mm-hmm. that there's options. So I just want to salute you in that.
1: Well, it's jarred something loose in both of us, for sure. Because Nick and I are planners. Mm-hmm by nature. And we lo- we love our local public school that our kids attend. It is a half a mile from our house. It's where our church met for 5 years yeah. on Sunday mornings. And it's a public Montessori school that goes from 3 years old till 8th grade. So we have had a kid in that school since 2013 and we if if all of our kids went through eighth grade, we'd have a kid in that school from 2013
0: to 2026. Oh my
1: gosh. So that long haul gives you a space in teachers' lives, in principals' lives, in families' lives, in your neighborhood that has been really important to us, that we just thought like, we want to go the long haul with this school. We want to go the long haul with these teachers. And so it was hard to even pull one kid out. And, And then it did jar something loose in us to say like, what if, it doesn't go like this. What if the plan mm. isn't that, mm-hmm. you know, we, this just goes exactly how we saw it, but it it has been really good to, to continually kind of preach to ourselves and believe God's going to give us the wisdom we need for each kid. He's going to give us, yeah, the strategy we need for each kid. And, but we have, people have asked like, how are the boys? Cause we have three boys still in school. Right. And people have said like, are they jealous? You know, and the best part is all three of them are like, we could, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want
0: to be with you all day. All <laughs> right, right. So that's cool. oh, that's amazing. Well done. Okay, tell me Glow's miracle story.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you Glow's miracle story because it will it may segue into a friend thing that we may want to talk about. Okay. Well, Glow's first story is that I, when I was 20 weeks pregnant with her, I went in for my anatomy ultrasound and found out she was a girl. And at the anatomy ultrasound, they said, "Now she does look a little bit small, so we want to watch that." And Nick and I were like, "Of oh, course." she's just a dainty little girl. Of yeah. Course, course. <laughs> a Tiny lady. Um, no worries. And we got a call that day. We decided to do, um, what's called a quad screen and it's a blood test. They do where from the quad screen, they can tell you like kind of a one out of something percentage of a handful of different illnesses, most having to do with your chromosomes. So this is, includes things like down syndrome and, um, any kind of chromosomal disorders. Sure. And they called us back a few days later and they said, we, you know, we've run your blood a few different times and your quad screen is coming back with this one result that, that basically we don't really have like, this isn't a diagnosis, but we're telling you that the quad screen is telling us there's a one in one chance that she has trisomy 18, which is a fatal genetic disorder, a one in one, so hundred percent, like a hundred percent. So it's because it's because of the way it is and, and people in the medical industry will understand this better that I'm explaining it now, 12 years later, but it's not, it's not a diagnosis until they do an amniocentesis. Right. Um, So the quad screen is like a, it's like a, it's like a one out of something, but they're like, it's a one in one. It's, it's not a one in two. It's not a one in five. It's a one in one. And so we began to learn about trisomy 18, began to learn about that diagnosis. And it essentially is, is failure to thrive. So um, most babies that have trisomy 18, I think don't make it past like 30 weeks. They die in utero. Um, some can make it up to like 10 weeks, eight months old, I think is like one of the longest cases. Um, and so we just began to like process that. And, and we had a lot of people come to us and say like, you need to pray for a miracle. You need to pray for a miracle. And we were like, well, we honestly were like, we don't think that's what God's doing. Um, we think God's like kind of asking us to drink this cup. And we, we were young. I mean, we were babies having babies. So we were, I was maybe 21. When yeah. This Cause happened. she's your second. She's my second. So we, you know, we just, we were like, I don't, can we pray for a miracle? I don't know. It wasn't really on our radar. Oh and we did an God. amniocentesis to get a, a final, final diagnosis. And the amniocentesis that they did came back contaminated and the whole amniocentesis is like they stick a huge needle into your belly it's really dangerous it can it can be dangerous for for your pregnancy in general so you don't want to do it twice <laughs> right i do you remember can, that's can. what
0: i that's about the only thing i know about amniocentesis is it can be dangerous
1: yeah, yeah it can be dangerous and so they were like your yours actually came back contaminated with blood we don't think you know we don't think we can get an answer from this <laughs> gosh but we'll just see what we can find out. And so we just kind of were like, okay, well, then we keep living with this reality. And I think it was probably two weeks later. We lived about two weeks with this, like trying to understand trisomy 18, trying to, you know, we'd be looking at baby clothing and we'd also be looking at caskets. Like we're just not, it's, we don't oh, really understand. For two weeks. Yeah. And this is all in the midst of, we were also planning to move to Seattle. And so we canceled our move to Seattle. We we're like, we got to, we got we to gotta do this with family close by. And we got a call two weeks later. I was napping with my other baby, baby Elias. He was like 10 months old at the time. And I remember I got a call from the doctor's office and they said, we, we were able to finally run the amnio. She definitively does not have trisomy 18. We have no idea why. We have no idea w- why it showed that, but she does not have it. Oh so my gosh. I mean, that- those
0: two weeks... What did you think? What did you pray? How do you sit? The, Enne- the Enneagram 7 wants to know. How did you sit in that much pain for that long?
1: I will tell you, I because you know, my wing is a 7. Yes. But I think the way I'm bent, my soul handles trauma a little uh-huh. bit easier than I handle blessing.
0: Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. I I kind of tend to, especially spiritually— thrive in trauma, it's, it's blessing that really freaks me out because blessing I can't earn and I can't keep it.
0: Girl, you're preaching. So I think that may
1: be just the heavy eight side of me.
0: Yes. No, I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. That there's a, there's a false feeling of control over how you handle tragedy and trauma.
1: Yeah. There is no control over blessing coming and going. No control over how, and you, and I'm, I'm, I'm a person who struggles with fear. So I fear how I'll handle trauma so that when it actually comes, there's a sense of relief of like, okay, I know what to do here. I've planned this out. And I also, I don't want to make it sound like it was all just like me. It also, God brought an intense amount of peace. Mm. So there was, there was just supernatural peace. So, I mean, it was almost more jarring to find out, like, never mind, she's just fine. Because I remember yes. I was asleep. I got the phone call. It was over in a minute. I didn't even really know how to relay that. They news were just to like, Nick. thanks, have a great day. Never mind, she's good. <gasps> oh my gosh, happy Wednesday. <laughs> Whatever. So, Bizarre. yeah. Then she was born and she had a variety of medical issues. She's had a, she's had medical issues. Like she had more medical issues in utero after that. We ended up moving to Seattle. After we got to Seattle, we found out she had hydrocephalus in utero. Then when she was born, she was actually really small and had some, a lot of issues to work with there. She had a a tumor on her eye when she was just one. Like she's had a lot of little medical issues that all felt like, you know, fights, in their own right. But this is a story that I can't believe you don't know. And I'm going to tell it as quick as I can. And I tell people when I tell them that it's too holy and it's too precious and it's going to sound crazy. And you can go back and read it all on my blog. You can read it minute by minute, day by day. As it's happening. As it's happening. But when Glow was three in March of 2011, she had been having a lot of behavior issues for a few months which is and a lot to say about
0: a three-year-old. I mean, three-year-olds don't have behavior issues. I mean, they're just three-year-olds. Yes,
1: it was. It was extreme. It was at the point where I was like, I believe she has special needs. I just don't know what the diagnosis is yet. Right. And and everybody around me was like, she's three, and I was like, I don't know. This isn't normal. And a lot of it was at night, like in the middle of the night, she would struggle a lot, and she we'd we'd wake up. She was three. We'd wake up, and she'd be like in the kitchen, like banging on pots and pans. Like, <gasps> okay. What are you doing? Like, go to sleep. (laughs) But one morning when she was three, I, it was an early morning, early Sunday morning. I was cuddling Elias and I heard what sounded like growling noises. And I went to go check on her and found her having a grand mal seizure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she, so a grand mal seizure is like the most extreme kind of seizures. It's what you picture when you picture someone like seizing. Um, not coherent, not conscious, not able to communicate, you know, making kind of noises, foaming, vomiting, all the things. Oh, my gosh. And when you have a grand mal seizure, you, if you seize for any more than, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, you are definitely anticipating brain damage because yeah. your, your brain just can't handle it. And her first seizure lasted – I don't even want to misquote, but you can read the blog. I, I want to say it was close to eight hours. So she had seizure activity for about eight hours, even in the hospital. They couldn't sedate her at oh, all. I mean, gracious. she was on all kinds of sedatives, but just still having minor seizure activity for hours upon hours upon hours. Oh, Jess. So she was immediately put into the ICU and given all this medicine to stop her seizures. And they just warned us. We have no idea what she's going to be like when she wakes up. She's probably not going to wake up for days. Um, when she wakes up, you know, you should anticipate brain brain trauma, brain damage, And there was actually randomly a a baby that was in the hospital that same day who had a seizure that lasted like 15 minutes and was diagnosed with, with brain damage that same day. I just remember like they were, they were kind of telling us like, this is, this is what to expect. And she woke up that same day and she was unable to walk or talk. You can see pictures of her, um, not only like unconscious, but also, um, we, we, when she woke up, I was so glad she woke up that I didn't. There's <laughs> just this one picture where you can see like that—that that, something's not wrong with that. Something's not right with that kid. She, she we say she was like a drunk bird, like oh. she could kind of communicate but not in words. Yeah. And she had been this articulate, wild little three-year-old girl, you know, yeah. who loved to paint and draw and run. And all of a sudden, she could she couldn't walk or talk. And so we lived like that for a few days. And at, at the beginning, the doctors were like, this could be brain injury. This could be brain damage, but it could also be that she, we just gave her so many sedatives and we didn't expect her to wake up so quickly. So let's see, let's see, let's see. And it was a Wednesday night. We went to the hospital on Sunday on a Wednesday night, the doctors came and they said, Hey, we want to tell you tomorrow we need to start talking about long-term care because this, this is brain damage. It's, it's, this has been enough time for her brain to heal oh or for gosh. us to start seeing signs of healing and we're not seeing any. Yeah. And so in the middle of, in the middle, in, in between this diagnosis she got when I was pregnant with her and this massive seizure, I got the tattoo of Talitha Kuam written on my wrist from Mark 5 when Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. Right. And so I'd had that tattoo. And so we were praying that passage again for her, Mark 5, you know, that she right. would wake up and say- Um, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. And so that night, this is obviously a much longer story, and it's a really holy story. And it was one we couldn't tell for a while, but you can go back and read it. But God called my sister to – my sister was like two hours away in Charleston. And God kind of woke her up and was like, rally people and get them to pray. Get them to pray right now. And she did, and she didn't tell us. And we didn't didn't even really tell our family how dire it seemed. Yeah. But – We prayed. Nick and I just prayed. We shut the door and we just did some battle. And it was just a crazy, wild, holy night. She had had trouble sleeping the whole time she was in the hospital, but she just fell asleep in her arms. And we Mm -hmm. put her in her bed and we went to go sleep on the couches across from her. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I knew. I I knew I physically couldn't see them, but I, I knew with everything in me that there were hundreds of angels in the room. And I just felt like God said, like, go back to sleep. There's hundreds of angels here. You're covered. Oh, wow. And I went back to sleep. And the next morning, Thursday morning, Glory, Anna, Eloise Connelly swung her legs over the side of her bed and walked two or three steps to us on the couch and said, I'm hungry. I need some breakfast. Uh -uh. And the doctors came in a few hours later and they asked where she was they thought this was literally a different child in the oh, room.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And they were like, no, no, this isn't her. I mean, her, because her face didn't even look the same. She yeah. couldn't control her her face muscles for for three or four days. Gosh. And she went home from the hospital two days later. Oh,
0: my gosh! And,
1: yeah, so that – it took us a while to call it what, what it was. Like, we, t- it took us a while to call it healing it took us a while to call it a miracle and that sounds crazy but we were just so close to it and we were so scared yeah we were so scared it was going to happen again right and it did happen again she had another seizure the next july so july 2012 she had another seizure and this one lasted hours again and we braced ourselves and you're like okay
0: we got what we we got a little glimpse and now (laughs) she's gone again
1: now we know now we know And she woke up and the first thing she said was, I would like some lip gloss. Oh. <laughs> My girl. <laughs> <laughs> and she has oh. not had a seizure since. So she's had years of EEGs and ambulatory EEGs where she has to walk around for days with sensors on her head. And she has had seizure activity for the for the few years after that seizure, she's had seizure activity and she's been on really extreme medication. Mm. Um, to, to ward off her seizures. But this past spring she did a three day EEG where they, they took scans of her brain all day. And it was the first time in six years that she had not one bit of seizure activity. And so they, they decided to begin to wean her off her medication. My gosh. And that's another part of why we decided to keep her home because (laughs) it's terrifying to wean your child off of the medication that has, you know. Kept them stable for years. Right. And then send them to school. So I was like, yeah, you're gonna be with me for a minute. Yeah. Um, why'd you what, name that it is Wild the-
0: Girl Academy?
1: <laughs> well, because I don't ever want her to be tame. I don't ever want mm. her to calm it down. Right. You know? Right. I want her to be her full self. And yeah. I really do believe she's gonna change the world. I mean, God has a wild mark on her life, and yeah. so yeah.
0: I'm a huge fan of men. Like, you know this. (laughs) I really like dudes. We like the men. I like the men. Also, why is your life in your house and outside of your house, what is the calling you feel about leading women toward that wildlife? Because it's not just for GLOW. It's for me, too. You do this for me, too. You do this for all of us that are discipled by you. What is that in you? Because that's not in me.
1: (laughs) You know, I feel like something God spoke into my life and spoke over my life just in the last few years and that I've been able to like say out loud is yeah. that I believe he's made me a midwife of mission. Oh, and come on. I love being on mission myself. I love getting to partner with God to do what he's asked me to do. I love that. But I think the unique way he's wired me is that it it like genuinely gives me a lot more joy to get to tell someone, keep going, or to tell someone, stay wild. Do not get tamed. Do not Mm. hold back. Or to tell someone like, it's time now. You've been waiting, but it's time now. I can tell it's time now. It just gives me genuinely so much more joy to get to be the coach that says, let's go. And so I don't, I feel that about her. Like I, I a hundred percent feel that. I f- I, and I feel that way about my boys. Like I, I think it's easier for me to get excited about doing it for women because there, there have been so few biblical voices yeah. telling us in a gospel centered way what we get to do. Mm-hmm. But I feel this way for my boys too. I mean, yeah. you know, I I have one son that I fully believe like he genuinely wants to be the president of the United States because he really <laughs> cares about people yeah. and he really wants to create an equitable and justice-minded country. And I tell him all the time, I you know, I cannot wait to spend Christmas in the White House. And when it's time, if I have to quit whatever job I'm doing to be his campaign manager, like I'm in a hundred percent. So it's not just women I feel that way about, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just it's it's a really sweet spot to get to tell other people, God's got this.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. One of the things you said is it's been the last few years that you've kind of been able to say that sentence of what you're called to, but mm-hmm. you've been doing this job publicly as long, almost a decade, as long as I have. I just think there's such an important conversation to have with people who are starting in ministry or who in a pl- who are in a place of ministry and don't have that sentence yet. And something shifted in me when I got my sentence, when mm-hmm. I got my thesis, that made my path very clear and our ability to cheer for each other very clear yeah. and made my my lane very clear to me. Can you talk a little bit about like how you found your thesis statement, how you found your sentence and yeah. ministry before and after?
1: Yeah. I would say it's come in pieces. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's how it was for you. It's come in yeah. pieces. I went to, I know, but somebody asked me last week, did you always want to write books? And I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) I don't know that there's a more Enneagram eight thing that I'm going to ever say in my life. But when people ask me that question a a precursor, if you don't know this about me already, I know, you know, any, I'm, I was like least likely to graduate high school. I shouldn't have gotten into college. Nobody thought I was going to make anything of my life. Mm. So when I say what I'm about to say, you got to remember that, that I wasn't I I was never anyone's least likely to succeed. I'm not book smart. I didn't grow up with privilege. Just all the things. Beyond
0: being a white woman
1: beyond you're a hundred percent, right. Thank you for that asterisk. hundred percent, but beyond being a white woman born in the United States. That's also. right. That's
0: right. That's right.
1: Um, so you didn't have privilege sure.
0: financially or maybe in school wise yes. and all those ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I totally yeah, hear like, you. I just, and I know, you I'm know, glad that. you said it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, I know.
0: Yeah. We I'm talk glad. about this a lot off.
1: off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We yeah.
0: know, we know. Um, our there is so
1: much privilege. Yeah, right. But when I, when you think of like, you know, yes, I have a single mom, like doing her best to make it work. Shouldn't have gone to college, barely graduated Mm. high school. So when people ask me, did you think you were going to be a writer? Did you ever, you know, did you just dream about writing books? I said, honestly, I just knew I would. I just knew I would. There, There was just some part of my personality that I didn't dream about it. It wasn't a goal. I just, as soon as I learned, this is one thing that I can do well. I can... I can kind of like create sentences, not that are beautiful. I don't think I'm the kind of author that makes people, you read a sentence and you think like, oh, that is, I like the way that was worded, but I yeah. realized I can compel people with my words. Yes. And so I started doing it in fifth grade. If I'd get in trouble, I'd write my mom a letter because I knew if I took a minute, I could, I could really get her on my team.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> if right. I wrote
1: down the words, like, here's why I did it. Here's why I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to do better. So I didn't dream about becoming an author, but I just thought I'm going to do that. And so a lot of the beginning of my ministry from like early twenties to even early Mm thirties was like, what sounded fun and what thought I might, I might do. But the first whisper of it is I went to Laura Casey's making things happen one day event. Yeah. And at the time, what looked like the most promising thing in my life there were two parts. I was helping Lee Chi reach truth, and I was also yes. running our small business that was like really thriving um, financially. And going through that day, I knew both of those things did not, I didn't want that to be my bio at the end wow. of the day. Like, I, and not that I didn't want to, but I just knew they weren't going to be. And so I remember we had you, Laura does all these really beautiful exercises, but one thing you have to kind of like stand up and say, well, you'll quit. And I I think I stood up and said, like, I'm gonna quit my small business, which full story is a, a, for sure by the time this comes out, we will have announced that we're closing all good things collective. So it really, took are you? about six oh, years I'm for sorry. me to sorry, are you sad? Finally no. It's sad, but it's obedient. It's yes. like it's time. We knew yes. six years ago, we kind of shifted it a few times. It's
0: sad but obedient man, we, yeah. can, we'll, before you close it, will you make that shirt? <laughs> yes. Sad but obedient. Yeah. Sad
1: but obedient. Um, and so somewhere in there, I felt like the Lord like gave me the phrase, prophet for the generation. Uh-huh. Like you're going to have to be a prophet for the generation. Wow. And not like that sounds, that might sound like, braggy no, oh, or that might sound.
0: Not to us. Not to us. <laughs> yeah. we all know But you know what I'm saying? That.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the, when you know what a prophet is, when you know, like they just publicly repent and they go first yeah. and they walk through hard things and they say the real things. I was about to say it's um, an expensive
0: thing to feel called to. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're most usually rejected. I just knew God was like, that's what you're going to do. And so it, that, that began to change the language of how I talk. So it, it yeah. changes the way I even write Instagram posts and in that I don't write Instagram posts directed to you. I say, we, I say our, yeah, yep. because I, not because I'm trying to be falsely humble, because that's what a prophet has to do. They have to apply it at the same time or yep, before. yeah. And so that was like one little whisper of it. I would say I started randomly doing coaching calls a few years ago because it just got too hard to respond to emails about yep. like, how did you start your business? Or how do you do this? Or what do what do I do if I have a book I want to write? And I noticed that I would I would almost always dread those calls because I I would like kind of fear the ability to do them. And then I would get off and I would wish we had had three more hours to talk.
0: Ah, wow.
1: And so I was like, okay, there's something here. There's something here. And then a a piece of it is that, um, you know, in that, in that season where our family moved to Seattle, we actually moved to Seattle to run a maternity home. So we had pregnant teenagers living with us and, by way of having... From the East Coast. Pregnant- so you
0: literally moved as far as you could from the life As far as you could.
1: Yeah. As far as we could go from... And stay Charlotte, continental. And yeah. yeah. Seattle, Washington. And so we'd have up to six pregnant teenagers living with us that at a time and a byproduct of that was that I got it to be in a lot of births. And I realized yeah. I'm good at this. Like I'm mm. really good at coaching people through births. I'm really good at really tender moments. And Um, you know, grabbing their face and pulling their foot up and telling them they've got this and wiping their brow. And especially in these births where it wasn't always happy feelings, it was heavy feelings. It was this, you know, you're going to place this baby for adoption, or you're going to go home to parent this baby on your own in a really daring and bold and brave move, trusting God. So that was a little bit of it, but yeah, I think it's only really been in the last two years that what helped me is just what helps me because of the way I'm wired was like getting a pen to paper and kind of writing it out mm-hmm. and working on that sentence and writing it out. But I want to say one more thing about that. It's so interesting. I did a podcast interview for Go and Tell Cows with Cheryl Luke. Have you had Cheryl Luke on your podcast? No. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cheryl Luke, she's an incredible pastor in... Austin, Texas. And just, she is like the OG, OG midwife Uh of mission.
0: uh
1: Um, she has gotten to pastor hundreds and hundreds of people. She has been a spiritual mother to many though she's in her sixties and never got married. And one day Cheryl and I were talking on my podcast, we were talking about spiritual mothering and I told her, we were talking about the, 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 similarities between pastoring and mothering. yeah. And she said, do you see the the similarities between pastoring and mothering? And I was like, I do. And I I just had this like vulnerable moment where I talked out loud and I said, you know, it's funny. I kind of think I'm bad at both of them. Oh, wow. And she said, isn't it so interesting that we often question God's capacity and ability to help us do the things we're already in?
0: All <laughs> oh, right. Oh, like she was like someone's you don't gonna have quote a that choice. on Twitter for sure. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. she was like you. You don't have a choice anymore. He already made you a mom. Like, get over thinking about whether or not you're a good one. Mm. And she was like, and maybe you're not ordained, but like you are pastoring people. You don't have yeah. a choice. Yeah. You've been doing that for you're years. So it. isn't yep. it interesting? Yeah, that the enemy would try to rob you of this belief in what God's made you to do. And so I would say as you're trying to figure out what that sentence is for you, go with that wisdom Yeah, from Pastor Cheryl of the what enemy's going to tell doing? you. <laughs> yeah. The enemy's going to tell you, number one, it's some big, huge thing that that you can't even fathom. And then you're going to feel all kinds of defeat and weirdness about that. But yeah, what are you already doing? What are you already good at? What do people already come to you for? Right. If it was me and a whiteboard and my dreams and goals, I don't think I would have written down midwife of mission. Yeah. I think I would have written down like best-selling author yeah. or yeah. tightest abs. I don't know. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Man, you know, it's interesting as I stood in my new office yesterday by myself and was just praying and listening to the Lord. It was my first time being there by myself and kind of just getting to pray over it, uh, just me. And I just kept feeling mm-hmm. like the Lord was saying that this would be a place that sends out not just mm. things, but people. And I was like, yeah. what? We're going to send out people? How are we going to yeah. send out people? I don't, you know, like, but th- this would be like, a, this office would be a place that sends out the gospel. And I thought, okay, I, I don't, it, it's one of those where I, I, I just am doing what you're saying of like, I don't know how we do that, but yeah. okay. We will send out people, and we will send out stuff, and we will spread the gospel in our little corner of
1: the world, in our little corner of the world way. And well, I think- I'm going to tell you how you're already doing it, oh, okay. because you know how you're already ministering people with your voice. But at this past weekend, I was at a random conference that I wasn't speaking at, yeah. and I met one of your old assistants. <gasps> you did, Maggie. Yes. Yes. Isn't she lovely? She's lovely. Yeah, yeah. That's where you're, I mean, you're sending them out into tender and bold places. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows, right? You're equipping women with your words and with, with your books. You're equipping men with your words and with your books. But more than that, you're sending out these ambassadors as you raise them up in a culture of humility and honor, yeah. Yeah. as you let them see you on like your broken days and your weak days. And as you can imagine, Annie and I meet a lot of people in the in the biz we meet <laughs> a lot of assistants we meet a lot of right. people who are like very confident and very sure of themselves and very into this whole thing and and i knew um, as soon as she said she'd work uh-huh. for you i was like yeah i can see that all over your face oh that's
0: sweet yeah
1: cuz you care about people cuz you're humble because you're not impressed with yourself like yeah, yeah it's pretty cool I can see it's,
0: that. and there was something you and i've talked about this a lot but there's just something about when you feel like you understand your lane better and you've kind of got your mission. Like, you know yours and I know mine. Mm-hmm. And I go like, well, yeah. I I mean, I just luckily got to write the foreword to your new book because I'm like, 100% I'm in Jess's lane. I, I know Jess is mm-hmm. in her lane. And mm-hmm. I want everyone to read You Are the Girl for the Job. I mean, I told you that the day I finished reading it on the treadmill that I was crying on the treadmill. And I said, mm-hmm. every woman... Needs to read this book and, but I and and like my whole heart can tell people that because I know you're the one that I want to win in the lane that you're in, mm-hmm. and it's and even if it was my same lane, I hope that I would be uh, that good of a person that I would be <laughs> able to cheer for other people. But it's not my lane. I'm yeah. not here yeah. to d- to disciple women in the same way you are, and so yeah. I just am. I think it matters so much that you go like, here's my lane. There's their lanes. My job is not to compete with anybody. My job is to run the race marked out for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And same. I feel the exact same way. I love your lane. I love your lane for you. Um, I'm, nobody, nobody wants to come to me for a fun podcast ever. Right. And I know that that's, not, I know that that's not all you do. You do deep and right, up, right, holy right. things, but you make it fun along the way. And no one's ever accused me of being too fun. Oh, get out um, of here. That I, is not true. Uh, do your dance I parties. Like soccer, come on. And I don't like cathedrals. And <laughs> I, You don't like cathedrals?
0: <laughs> so much to, so much to disciple you in. I'm going to disciple no, you toward I, cathedrals.
1: I, I, I have that weird church thing. I mean, like I can't picture a cathedral without being there alone. Uh That's what, that's how I picture you there. Uh. And I have that weird church thing where I'm like, God, please don't send like 15 angels. Everybody's always (laughs) terrified of angels in the Bible. I'm just like, I, (laughs) I know they're here. I just want to see them. Like, don't, don't come down in a bush just yet. I'm going to be freaked out. Oh my gosh. That that's so how funny. a cathedral makes me feel.
0: Um, so quiet. Okay. Can we talk about you're the girl for the job? Because it comes out tomorrow when this podcast releases. Crazy. Yeah. It comes out tomorrow. Yeah. How do you feel? I mean, you this isn't your first book, baby, you've born. Yeah. But that's my favorite. Yeah. It's my I mean, I've loved all yours in their right season. And I think anybody could start at the beginning of your library and work their way through and be very satisfied. But man, I'm excited about this one.
1: I'm really excited too. I'm yeah. really, really, really excited. Tell me why. You know, I think you do have to know your lane and I think you got to know what God's doing in you. And I, when you say, I want every woman to read this book, I, for the first time, I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. I do too. And I, and I, that's not at all to, to like poopoo on my other books. I just knew they weren't for everyone. Sure. I knew they weren't for everyone, but my mom's best friend, who's in her 60s, has an early copy of You Are the Girl for the Job. Yeah. And, she, and she says it's changing her life.
0: Yeah.
1: And my friends who are in their 20s, this is how I know I'm excited about it. And this is how I know it's – and you know this too. When it's just a book that you're like, thanks, God. I'm glad I got to be a part of that one. Because I was sitting with one of my just best friends who hasn't had the time to read the book yet. Yeah. Yeah. We were we were went to dinner the other night, and she was telling me about some stuff she was walking through. And all I wanted to say to her was like, "Okay, chapter six
0: through nine, those are right, right, right."
1: I didn't even want to say another word. I just wanted to like hand her the book and say, will you go read chapter six? Right. Will you
0: you do me a favor?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, that's when, you know, like God, God really wrote a good book. I got to be there for it. Yeah. I think women need it. I think though, I, I don't know one that's like, I'm good. I feel good. Like I don't ever feel insecure. I don't ever feel inadequate. I don't ever feel unsure of what God is asking me to do. And I'm excited because the book I write with a lot of story, the same way you do. But I'm excited because, for the first time ever, it's story and it's study. There's also a good bit of a good bit of Bible study. We talk about Moses. We talk about the life of Jesus. We do a deep dive into Mary Magdalene. That's one of my favorite sections of the book. We talk about Joseph. But also, the book is really practical, right? And so there's moments where, like, when if the question is. How do I tell people about what I think I'm hearing from God if I'm not sure about uh-huh. how I'm hearing from uh-huh.
0: God? I,
1: there there's like a conversation. I like list the words, try to say this, text this to your friend. Yeah. you
0: know, yeah, you do. You give direction all throughout. Yeah. I absolutely love that.
1: so I'm excited. I just I pray that, yeah, I pray that it'll be as encouraging as um as I hope it will as I, as I pray it will. and so, yeah. And one of the things
0: I I loved about this book that I'd love for you to speak into is there isn't a specific job you're talking about when you say you are the girl for the job. And it's just whatever the woman who picks up the book is, has right in front of her in her life. She's the girl for that job.
1: Yeah. And the flip side of that, I mean, I've shared, I've shared a tiny bit publicly about this, but we really wrestled with the, with the title. And when I say we, I mean me. (laughs) My publisher was like, that's the name of the book, no matter what, that's what we want to call it. And I had close friends who were saying like, don't even think about it. But I, you know, I mean, you can imagine. And, and I think a lot of women can imagine. I felt like, you know, my last book was bubblegum pink. Right. And while I love the color pink, I just was like, I I just don't want this to get written off as a, as a campy message. I don't want this to get written off as you know, self-help or a pat on the back or like, you got this girl when, when it's a really wild message about God's capacity. And so, but when you, when you're even mentioning that, like it's the job that God's placed you in, it's the God that he's given you. It's the one that he's, he's written for your life. What I've just started saying to combat any fear I have about the title is what's the alternative. Yeah, Consider the alternative. If you're not the girl for the job, that means that God has not placed you where you're at on purpose, that he will not show up when you need him, that he will not empower and utilize your weaknesses for his glory, Yeah. that he hasn't given you strategic and intentional strengths to love people around you. And we just don't believe any of those things to be true. Right. So of course, it's all about him. Of course, it's all about his capacity. But guess what? Women have been hearing that and they still feel wildly inadequate. Like we have to hit some of these intentional things of like you struggle with fear, you struggle with insecurity, you struggle with inadequacy. Let's get to the heart of why God is enough. And let's get to some strategy to help you start making obedient steps forward that are less self-focused and less less doubt-filled.
0: Sure. I mean, because I think so many of our friends who are listening are on the treadmill after their day job where they've been working or they are doing the laundry at their house because they have five children and their full-time hustle is running their home or they are married and trying to get pregnant and it's not going the way they thought but they don't have a job but they don't know what to do with their day blah, 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 blah Mm -hmm. there are all these different life places that are represented in our friends who are listening how do you figure out what the job is that you're called to that you're the girl for
1: Yeah. I think you first look at who's already listening to you. And Mm -hmm. so many, so much of the book is not so much of the book, uh, one sixth of the book is really asking the question, who, who are your people? And we ask that as women of God in this kind of like, who are my people? Who are going to love me? Who's going to cheer me on? Who's going to follow me? And, And I get that. Those are real honest questions to come by. Right. But we kind of ask it in a different way and say, who's already paying attention to you? And who has God given you a burden for? And I think a lot of the what comes after we determine the who. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have a captive audience in the humans who are watching you. If uh, you're a college student, you have a captive audience in your dorm room. There's a there's a whole story in the, in the book about how I started writing, which is a very uh, – and when I say writing, I mean like in an intentional sense. Right, right. You know – that I, I really just walked up and down the, the hallways in my dorm and made people give me their email addresses. I remember and I said, that's one of
0: my favorite parts of the book.
1: Yeah. Okay. I'm going to start writing you a daily <laughs> devotional and they didn't want me to, <laughs> they didn't ask me to, they didn't invite me to, but I re- recognized I have a captive audience and I know how to use my words. And yeah. these girls need Jesus. Yeah. So that makes a perfect opportunity. Right. Um, if you work in a cubicle, who's right next to you, who's on all sides of you, You know, if you go to the same Starbucks every day, who's the barista you're seeing? And so, so much, I believe of the what comes after the who, but then I would start to ask if if you're trying to determine what the job is, what are you naturally good at? What do people come to you for again and Mm. again and again Mm. that maybe kind of annoys you? Um, Like, why are they always asking me to do this? Well, because you're good at it. Yeah. There's a reason. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Written that strength into your life. How can you... How can you wield that weapon for the glory of God? But also uh, we take a huge look at weaknesses as well, because I believe number one, so many of what the world calls weaknesses are actually kingdom strengths. Uh, so if, you know, if my daughter maybe <laughs> had someone else in her life, they might say like, she's a bossy, you know, fiery little brat. And instead I can look at her and say like, you have Leadership and passion and vision and tenacity. So, what what the world could write as an intense weakness is might just be a God given strength. I, I hear from uh, women say, like, oh, I'm super shy, and I have like relational anxiety." Yeah, I'm not saying the right word. What's the word for that?
0: Social, Social anxiety? anxiety. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I'm, I get nervous in crowds. And to those women, I always say, like, I wonder if you're just a lot more spiritually sensitive, like. Are you meant to come in and like perceive the room and pray? Ah, wow. Like are you meant to listen? Yeah. Um why are we calling that a weakness? Why are we calling that you know, something that's going to discount you for ministry when that just might be your ministry. Right. But the other reason we take a huge look at weaknesses is because I think we're also being taught as a culture to just sweep our weaknesses under the rug mm. and to pretend like they're not there and like, and just, and really build on the things that we do well. And that is going to lead us to topple and and collapse because yeah. we've got to let the, the gospel get out of our weaknesses. We've got to let the truth get out of our weaknesses so that his power can be made perfect in them. And so- yeah. Yeah. I think those three things combined who and what are your weaknesses and what are your strengths lead to a lot of figuring out that what, and, and again, I'd say that's mine for me with being a midwife for mission being, I just you know, can't get over
0: in. that phrase. I love it so much. A oh, midwife for mission, helping us all birth into our missions. That's so good. Jess.
1: Well that it starts for my who, you know, I, I, I always joke that not there, not a lot of people know a lot of lady eights. I'm surrounded by lady eights. Are I you? I could be like, I, I have so many in my life. You wouldn't believe. I mean, most of my closest friends are eights or have an eight wing. Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Yeah. And so I could be like, well, this is overwhelming. We're all a lot. Or I could be like, I better get to work encouraging these women. Cause mm. God is going to build something out of them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. And, and same with my kids and my daughter. And, and then a lot of it comes from my weaknesses and my strengths too. I mean, one of my largest weaknesses is that when I see a problem, I cannot get off of it. And when I see someone who's defeated, I will pick at them until they basically say, like, get out of my face because mm. I just want them to experience victory. Right. I just don't want them to feel beaten up. My husband, poor guy. Like I mean, I he is allowed to be discouraged only because I'm in counseling and, and my counselor tells me to let. <laughs> him be discouraged. <laughs> but I mean, just today we were getting out of the car and he was like, oh, I'm an idiot because he forgot something. He was like, I'm an idiot. And I was like, hey, 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 yeah. hey, hey, <laughs> we no don't sir. talk about ourselves like that. That's right, um, And that's his whole life. That's what he has to deal with all day long. <laughs> because one of my biggest weaknesses is that I talk too much and I don't let people talk bad about themselves. Yeah. But guess what? That happens to translate really well when you're coaching people yes. to do what God's asked them to
0: yes. do. That's exactly right. What happens next? What happens when you close all good things collected? Which also, let me just publicly say, when you close that company, I hope you celebrate because that company has done such good work, Jess. Yeah. Like y'all done real good gospel stuff and real good style stuff. So
1: we feel that we we are, we're going to be celebrating up until we close and we don't close until the end of 2019, but we're, yeah, by the time this podcast comes out, we will have already announced it.
0: Okay. Um, so what happens next? You close that the book comes out. What, where are we, where are you going next? I mean, I know how it is when you write a book, you wrote this a long time ago. You're going to not a long time ago. You wrote this yeah. a few months ago and, yeah. and now it's about making sure people know about it, but what's coming for you?
1: Yeah. Um, well I have another book coming out in March, you know, yes. that life. Yes. So that happens. I'm excited about that. A devotional. Um, a devotional. Yeah. Take it too far, which, which you know. I love. Oh my gosh. I love when you say that to people, Take it <laughs> too far. They get too far. It's a hundred kind of characteristics that, um, that Christ embodies that we get to take too far. But yes, yeah, so, uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna tell you raw things. I'm gonna tell you real things. Okay. Like, I'm gonna tell you anything. I'm ready. I yeah. Only if you want to. to you. I'm excited about what God's doing through go and tell gals. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, about- I love going tell gals. Will you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's really just my outlet for coaching and we're just, we're figuring out like all the different ways that we can coach women online. So we do that through coaching teams. We do it through online classes. We do it through e-courses. We, we've just begun to do events, but what we're really excited about in 2020, which is a, you know, a just serious midwife of mission thing is that we're going to start licensing coaches Oh, wow. So they can use the same six steps that are found and you're the girl for the job and that they get training to coach other women. So, I mean, the exponential fruit of that makes me really excited yeah. because it's not just like, oh, I get to coach women. I get to coach women in their mission, but I get to coach women who will coach women in their mission. Mm-hmm. And that makes me just thrilled. That makes me really excited. I'm I'm pulling an annie I'm taking the summer of 2020 on sabbatical. I'm running girl with my kids and my husband, and we're going to just run all around the world, which we've Are never you? done anything like that. You're going to yeah. go around the world. We're going. We're, the, the plan right now is Seattle to Bangkok, to uh-huh. Australia, to maybe Hawaii. I, be, oh. Because everybody, everywhere before that is like kind of everything before Hawaii is kind of wild. And I was like, can we put it in like an easy thing for me? Because yeah. I'm not. I don't, I get scared. of the Man, travel. I'll be
0: Hawaii in, in June. If you want to be in Hawaii in June, that's probably too early. Y'all probably be oh, probably not to Hawaii until August. Huh? Yeah. I
1: think we're landing there later.
0: Are y'all going to do Honolulu or Maui or both?
1: Oh gosh. I have no, I don't, I don't know. You know, cause all. the Betheskies are in do. Maui.
0: So you'd have like well, friends for your kids to play with.
1: That's good to know. So it's going to be our 15 year anniversary. So we're trying to renew our vows. And I'm what right now I'm in the process of trying to convince my family to come out and join us for the ah, end of sabbatical. So they'll be there for our, our 15 year renewal. But the, the wild anything that I'm telling you is that yesterday I was working with my husband, you know, a large part of my life is running Bright City Church here with Nick. Yeah. And yesterday we were working on our org chart and this is the first year we've, we've been a church. We'll, we're about to celebrate our, our seventh year, which is why we're brilliant. on a sabbatical or, about to celebrate our seventh birthday in January, and it's taken us seven years to ordain pastors, to set up deacons, to, to get elders in place, and so we're going to set all that up in January 2020. So we'll have a few months to work with our team before we go on sabbatical. But yesterday, he was showing me the org chart, and yeah, he, he pointed to um, Pastor of Culture. Oh my god, and gosh. out he was like, That's you! Oh, wow, that's you right there. Um, you know, right there on our executive team, master of culture. And I was like, okay, okay, babe, (laughs) I'm crying talking about it now. Okay, babe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's going to be the big thing that kind of fills that vacuum is that I'm going to be able to get to step into bright city in a more organized capacity.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So that'll be the fall of 2020.
1: Yeah. That'll be fall of 2020.
0: So will you come off the road? Or will you do both?
1: Well, I'd actually I, I think I told you this a few months ago. I'd planned to totally go off the road in 2020 yeah. and that, you know, was the pipe dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, publishers don't really love when you're like, I'm gonna put out a book and then never move again. Yeah. So um not just publishers, but you know, the the finances also I I have to work apparently still. Right, so. right. Weirdly. <laughs> um, this position at our church will not be probably unless, I don't know, God can do whatever he wants to do, but it probably won't be a paid position sure. still. So right. I, I still have to still have to bring yeah. in the incomes, but, um, and do
0: you know what someone said to me two or three years ago, I was saying, I just don't want to, I want to do, the, I love the teaching part, but I don't want to be on the road anymore. I want to be home. I want to be in my own bed every night. Dah, dah, dah. And <laughs> the manager said to me, you know, Justin Timberlake doesn't even get to stay home. And I was like, you know what? That's a great point. Like there's nobody who does a job like ours that wants to continue to do this job that does not leave their house and spend the night in hotels and get to see other people. Now you can adjust how you do it so that it fits your personality better and fits your life better, but no one doesn't do it. I was like, you know what? That's a good point. If If JT is out on the road, now, the difference is he has buses full of his friends. So that's what I'm he working toward. Does. That's he my does. goal. And
1: like gets to like bring all his people. And yeah, that doesn't Yeah, that's what I'm doing.
0: Different. That's what I'm going yeah, for in 2020.
1: I, I, please put me on that bus. Come okay. on. Let's do it. At that. least one of the ones. We one haven't dreamed that up yet. Okay. Well, okay.
0: listen. Well, listen, <laughs> everybody. You heard it here first. <laughs> 2020, <laughs> Jess and Annie on the road. Okay. okay we could okay. just do so, a Go and Tell Gals slash That Sounds Fun podcast episode in a couple of different cities.
1: I feel like that has to happen.
0: Okay, now I kind of want it to
1: happen too. Let's do it. Okay, okay, do it. okay, okay. We're gonna dream it up. Yeah. So I'm slowing down, but I'm. That'll be. I think you know. Prayerfully, that'll be. That'll be a big part of, of filling that void. And you know what? I'm gonna say here too before we make this announcement about all good things is our business has been through a lot of transition. We've we've brought in co owners. We've changed our name twice, which I don't yeah. suggest. <laughs> um, but. I really can't wait to see. So we, so we thought, like, do what? Do we sell it again? Do we, Mm. you know, do we give the company to someone? Do we like let someone try to run it? And I feel like God has said, like, you just watch. So much is going to rise up in in the vacuum of you not being there anymore. And so I'm really pumped to see what that looks like. Yeah, I'm really pumped to see the small businesses that start. And the and then different companies that begin to make tools to help women study scripture and to be, be a good neighbor and to experience abundance and I'm excited to see the art companies that come up um, that are already there but that get that get a get a louder voice or get a I don't, I'm just excited to see what comes up in the vacuum of of us taking a break.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's the same feeling I have about changing a little bit of how we travel. Of going like, man, there are women who are super equipped and gifted to teach in the places that aren't right for me in 2020. And if I say yes, just because I'm trying to say yes, there are the right women are going to miss the opportunity or the right men are going to miss the opportunity that I said yes to because I was insecure to say no or scared to go where I was feeling God calling me. So instead, we build what I feel called to, which opens up a space for what... People are called to.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. That you know, I've told you before. That's my big thing is that every time I travel, I always think there's somebody in this room who could do it better. Right. Like, and that's not an insecure feeling. That's like a do I need do I need to train one of y'all to do this? Right. (laughs) Right. I just I just sense like there's some and I just feel that a lot. Like there's there's someone here, and it's again, it's not fear, it's not insecurity, it's just. I know there are times that I'm supposed to go and I know there's seasons that I'm supposed to go, but I, I also think, right. There's a lot to say for making room for people. Yes. And I think, I mean, someone did it for us, right? No, you're not wrong.
0: The only yeah, reason I wrong. have ever gotten a single stage is because the first few times, the first few years, maybe people who'd done it longer than me started saying no. And right. th- then the people running conferences went, well, who, who does nobody know yet? that might fit in this spot with this budget? And I would say yes. And so now I get to, it's a funny thing that I haven't quite figured out yet is how do we, you know, for musicians, they get to bring openers. And so when I think about Drew Holcomb or when I think about Dave Barnes or when I think about any of these buddies of my, Lady Annabelle, I think, man, they get to everywhere they go, they get to go, who do we want everyone that follows us and pays to see us? Who
1: else do we want them to hear? Okay. So you need an opener on the tour. I know. We so how openers. do we figure that out though? Well, we plan our own tour. Okay. And then uh, we bring openers. I want to know, know right now, do you know who you'd want to be your opener? Do you have a name? No. Do you? I do. And I'll find your opener. Because I would say my, my opener is definitely not yours. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I tell people this all the time. And I'll say, I'll just say it this way too. That when people ask me who I like to follow online, Lindsay Falls. L i n d s e. Y F A L L S. I love to follow Lindsay Falls. She is, she puts out just phenomenal content. She loves God. She is honest. I would say, I mean, in in so many ways. Like she's a prophet. She's yeah. she says the honest thing. Yeah. Um I, I just I love following her. I okay. would, I would, I'd make Lindsay my opener any
0: day of the week. I'm, I'm following her right now. Okay, so let me tell you two that come to mind when you say it like that. The two that come to mind are Ainsley B, who does okay. incredible work for next generation women, like college and high school. She's okay. funny and smart and people, yeah, I love her. And Manda Carpenter. Do you know Manda Carpenter out of Chicago? Oh my gosh, I love Manda Carpenter. I know, right? She
1: she would be a great opener.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're right. I do have some, but but see, here's the other thing to me. I'm like, no, those are just my friends that I like their work. Right. Right. <laughs> but you're right. I, if I was, do, it, when I set up a world where I get to have an opener, I would bring one of those two, not even in as like a, you're my opener, but as like a, okay, listen, I've got 60 minutes. I want you to take yeah. 20 of them. And I want yeah. you to do your thing because everyone needs to hear what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So let's figure out a way yeah. to start having openers.
1: Okay. i okay.
0: Let's do it. Um, okay, Jess, I just love you. I'm thankful for you. We've done an hour here just on accident. <laughs> Girl, I love you so much. I, I just could not cheer for you more, really. I just am so grateful for your work.
1: You really could not cheer for me more. You are the most encouraging.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wrote the forward of your book. I only do those. I only do two a year max. In fact, what it says on our yes, no list for 2019 is only one forward, but I'm doing two and it says it has to be a heck yes only. So you were a heck yes. And so was Luke Norsworthy. Those are the two forwards I'm writing this year. But Jess, the last question we always ask. On the That Sounds Fun podcast. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Tell me what you do for fun. You got a strong seven oh wing, sister. My gosh.
1: Okay, my new favorite thing that is dangerous. Yes. yes. Is tubing.
0: <laughs> what kind of tubing? Like tubing uh, behind
1: a boat? Behind a boat. <laughs> my parents joined a boat club. I did not grow up doing these things. I did uh, not grow okay. up going on boats or tubes. Um. And my parents joined a boat club and I realized about a month ago that I love tubing uh, and I feel so free and I feel so happy. And I will tell you, we have already had two kind of minor accidents. Like, oh, so yeah. we gotta, we gotta tone it down because we got a little wild. Nick actually currently has a black eye. <gasps> oh yeah. gracious.
0: Did he hit someone yeah. else? Oh gosh.
1: Nope. He um held to the tube in some very rough waters and it flipped upside down and it pounded him into the water Good repeatedly baby. over and over again until he, until it stopped, like for about 10 seconds. That's that's bad. That's, that's yeah. an
0: endure. What's his Enneagram number?
1: One. <laughs> okay. So he's like, Oh, I'm holding on because the rules are on. you yes. hang
0: on. You do not let go. Oh, bless his so heart. We're, gonna, so we're just going to watch guy.
1: it and be a little bit more safe in the sure, future. Sure, but sure. I'm, I, if, if you said, Hey, you got four hours today, you can go do anything fun. I'd say like, let's go tubing right okay. now.
0: Great answer. Well done you. All right, friend. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate you. Love you. Love you too. Oh, y'all, I just adore her. I just think the world of Jess. Make sure you grab a copy of her brand new book, You Are the Girl for the Job. It is such a gift, and I absolutely loved reading it, along with David Platt's. It's the two that made me cry on the treadmill recently, so I just am so grateful for her. And make sure you follow her all over the internet. Listen, she has a ton of things that she is doing, a ton of different offerings that you can be a part of, courses, and different Instagram accounts to follow, podcasts. She is everywhere. Go and tell gals. I mean, she's just, she has got capacity, y'all. She has got capacity. I'm so impressed. So make sure you follow her in all the places. Tell her thanks for being on the show and how much it meant to you. If you need anything from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs, F as in fierce, because my girl, Jess Connolly, she's fierce. So that's Annie F. Downs over Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me, As you guys know, I am out on the road this week. I just finished four dates with the Come to the Table tour and have four more coming up. Unfortunately, the first one in Birmingham, Alabama is totally sold out. But we'd love to see if you're anywhere near Elizabethtown, Kentucky, Little Rock, Arkansas, or Tyler, Texas. I will be there this weekend. So you guys come out and say hello. I think that's it for me. You guys go out and do something that sounds fun to you and I will do the same. And we'll see you back here on Thursday with Mandisa. Y'all have a great week.